0: Tim, calling you in a minute means I am calling you in a minute, but I was about to call you right now, so it's
1: good. Uh, yeah, as, as you'll see, I didn't actually see your message, so wouldn't have a clue what you said, so hence calling. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it's difficult living in this world of sort of instant connectivity, because when people fail to see our messages, it's extremely frustrating.
0: It is restraining because it's extreme, like it's instant connectivity, as you say. It should be, you know, acknowledged.
1: For sure. I mean, you, you, just, you just need a direct mainline, um, you know, deep into my brain so that I can't possibly miss the message.
0: Yeah, that's that should be it. <laughs> I mean, it should be like, you know, private communication should be like just brain to brain. Not all, not all of it because you don't want all the junk in your brain, right? You don't want all the like <laughs> Facebook, you know, yeah. ads into oh, your brain. Sure. You don't want that junk. Well, oh, actually, for a second, but I thought
1: you meant the opposite as well, because you don't want people to have access to all the junk in your brain, because that could be highly embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, but like it should be. You know, you kind of give access
0: to it. It's not like you have it by default. It's more like you, for sure. you somebody, you like, you give, I don't know, a code or a link, and now yeah. then it can, you know, he or she can. For sure.
1: I mean, communicate, message
0: you directly into your brain or something.
1: I think that really one of the biggest issues, though, and this would just make that worse with the social media and instant connectivity and all that is is the the cost of task shifting, you know, like constantly being distracted and and broken out of whatever state. Like if you're not in the same state of mind for long periods of time, I think you're going to (laughs) suffer, you know, if you don't get that opportunity to focus on stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Kind um,
0: of, yes, I guess we, we kind of see it already happening.
1: Definitely, yeah. No, but, I, th- I think you know, it's people,
0: people who constantly shift between their Facebook and their work or their uh, phone and their computer. Completely. You see how they're less productive than...
1: Definitely. I mean, I feel it very much in myself, you know. I feel that... Um, I feel it in my fingers. <laughs> I feel it in my toes. Yeah, it's, it's an entire, like a whole bodily sensation. Yeah, working... <laughs> Christmas is all around you. <laughs> working in a place where, where people can, you know, constantly make entirely reasonable demands on your time, but any of those demands will interrupt whatever state that you're in, plus having social media and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a really, really difficult situation that a lot of people are in where, you know, that email's coming in and of course they have to be monitoring monitoring their email most of the time because important stuff's coming and then they're, you know, oh, I've got a moment of break, I'm gonna check Facebook or yeah, I'm going to check my other email. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to switch from my work communication to my private communication
1: yeah, and then back to my work communication. Exactly. And meanwhile, my actual work, <laughs> that that's suffering a lot because I don't have any uninterrupted stretches of the day. This is the hypothetical I, by the way. Um, not me. Well, I don't understand <laughs> that. Yeah.
0: But do you think then that we, we... I mean, they can go two ways, right? Mm-hmm. It can be like... I mean, the logical way would be have some... Uh, ethics of I mean just Mm. kind of personal ethics of dealing with that yeah yeah like you know you don't check your private communication when you're at work or you check your emails only once a day I mean like you know it's kind of like you know team ferris and yeah those guys kind of suggest but at the same time we can go into opposite direction we can be just like oh okay you know a general productivity with human is just lower yeah. than we expected it sure, to be. Sure. So we just kind of like, <clears throat> instead of, you know, accomplishing X amount of tasks in eight hours, you can accomplish, you know, X divided by two amount of tasks in two hours. And then we'll be like, yeah, okay, that's just what we do.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. Again, it's a kind of evolutionary question. It's a developmental <laughs> question. For, for kids who are growing up with this stuff, of course, there's a lot of doom and gloom prediction because as adults, we're really fit. Take this is taking a toll on us, you know. Our brains did not develop in this kind of environment, so that task shifting thing really is draining and, and really affects our productivity. But what about kids whose brains are trained in an environment of constant task shifting? Are they going to be really fragmented and not, you know, capable of learning really complex things as some people predict? They're going to be constantly distracted, or is that? quote unquote distraction not going to be an issue for them. Like they're just going to take that in their stride. And yeah, there'll be task shifting, but there'll be maybe there'll be better integrative. I think,
0: yeah, I don't think you can, you know, override yeah. human brain to that extent. Well we just yeah, we know, just don't
1: know the limits of the human brain though. We we assume yeah, yeah. and I think I look I'm very much on the side that that for deep biological reasons we need, you know, these long um, uninterrupted stretches of focus. We need to not get too attached to our, you know, internal dialogue and all of our auto-generated brain act. You know, obviously, I'm yeah, but you know, that, like but... the,
0: the when you are interacting mm. with people on social media, yeah. you're not attached to your inner dialogue. You're constantly, you know, putting it away because you're constantly saying something to other people. So mm. you're yeah. like, I would say, if anything, you would be less aware of what's happening sure. inside you sure. than more. Uh, Like you would be just constantly unaware of of what's happening in your brain because you're constantly directing your uh, conscious activity towards producing some form of communication with
1: somebody. For
0: sure. For sure. No, I think that's true. Like constantly, you know, being blind to what's happening inside Mm -hmm. you, I think.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really true. Obviously, this is speculative, but I think that there's kind of a deeper principle which is about the. You know, the fragmentation, again, it's the task-shifting thing. It's about the fragmentation of your, you know, cognitive workspace or, or whatever. But I think that there's a, there's a cost in terms of cognitive loading that is imposed by that. So you're absolutely right that you might not be now attending to your internal dialogue, but you'll be attending to something that's inherently fragmentary and that is, you know, yeah. again, it's constant attention-shifting. Like This is really speculative, and I know that. But I think that the, one of the reasons why attending to your internal narrative and your auto-generated um, brain activity too much, like the reason we need breaks from that, is because it's inherently more fragmented than the external world in some sense. You know, like the external world is, is basically, you know, coherent in, in certain ways that our um, consciousness and cognition evolved to process but our auto-generated activity, that can that's like, again, it's like the task-shifting thing. Like our attention is constantly snapping from one thing to another. Things are not necessarily constrained by any kind of, of you know, logic or structure because they're flitting all over the place. And so that's why I think, you know, that you need to take that that break from that in order to let that structure come back in from outside so to speak and that helps you to order your internal activity as well like if you only pay attention to the internal activity like neurotics and you know people who, who spend way too much time in their own head and you know obviously schizophrenia is, is a the the worst pathological form of this because you you're you kind of can't tell the difference anymore between activity that you're you are generating the auto-generated stuff and the external stuff so the whole thing becomes chaotic and, and incoherent um yeah that's why i think meditation is, is so, so <laughs> yeah no, huge, i mean you, you were
0: d- you were basically destined to come to meditation in this spiel yeah of course but, uh, of yeah course. that was <laughs> yeah <laughs> you kind of you kind of derail yourself with schizophrenia but then you came yeah, back to the meditation, came back to meditation, meditation. Like, yeah okay we were going here from the very beginning, so that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, to the same point. I wonder how much you know with like, um, how much of our uh, biology constrains us towards communication uh, that is not face to face, because we basically you know evolved to read people when Absolutely. they are present, uh, you know. In the same physical space as us, right? Absolutely. We read their you know emotions. We read their facial expression. Like we read what they say, judging by their body language and so on. So, you know, like in tones, intonation, and I mean, at least that is important, right? And now we have all that textual communication that strips away strips away all of it. And so, yeah. <clears throat> I wonder to what extent we are incapable of mm. communicating, mm. Um, mm. you know, through those means. Uh, effectively. Yeah. Like, I wonder if it's not just, you know, whatever, us as a generation, mm-hmm. right, not, not ready for that, and kids may be ready for that. Uh, I wonder if it's just we as, you know, biological machines sure. are right now incapable of that, and it will take, like, I don't know, thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand years to develop some framework to be able to do that, because Mm. What we see now stems largely from that, right? People misreading other people's, uh, you know, words, uh, misattributing emotions to people's words, especially if they're, you know, like in Twitter when they're, you know, taken out of the context of people's thinking in general. Absolutely. So, like, there is a lot of that happening, and I don't think we basically. Have a way out of it.
1: Sure, I mean, I think even you know we can look at our own um, text-based correspondence as just a, as a ready, oh, yeah. a ready example. Absolutely. You know, we know each other <coughs> ex- extremely well, um, but there's that constant misunderstanding and that constant you know you, you're always slightly off balance because you can't like the tone is so much supplied by your own reading of the text that you know conversations can be completely derailed and go in funny directions um you know negative directions yeah because yeah. you're constantly feeling that kind of um an- you know anxiety because again yeah the person isn't smiling at you and like leaning back in their chair really comfortably and, and all of that kind of stuff
0: it, yeah, yeah yeah like jokes especially suffer yeah. well you know you can't like yeah. just teasing somebody and the person takes it badly because you totally. like oh you know that's that yeah. guy's getting on. yeah oh, like you know is like bullying me, I'm like, fuck you, motherfucker. And then the other one is like, well, fuck you, you can't take a yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's, so a, there's
1: probably, a, there's like a special kind of skill to being really humorous in the text-only medium. But even if you are, even if one was really good at that and there are obviously some, you know, there are like Twitter comedians and stuff who specialize in that kind of thing, um, it would still be difficult in your personal communications because people, you know, people expect you to be serious some of the time and they're not going to be able to tell the difference, um, but well, in, in terms of the the, the the broader evolutionary question that you're asking about whether the brain is capable of, you know, if you grew up in that environment um, of adapting to that form of communication or indeed to what I was saying before, like the constant task-shifting thing, I mean, I guess we don't really know. It's something to do with the limits of, of you know, the brain's plasticity during development, right? So it's, it's, it's about how... Um, deeply ingrained um, certain, you know, behaviours or certain uh, contexts for cognition and consciousness are into the into the deep structure of our brain. Yeah. Uh, and I guess you would think but far that as, they're going as, to be as pretty as far deep- as I can
0: understand, yeah. it's, you know, it's basically down to mirror neurons, And mm, so that it's, part, yeah, as, it's, far, as far as I can understand, it's basically down to, you know, uh, like anatomical structure of the mm. brain more than, you know, the plasticity of the brain mm-hmm. so like you have specifically designated neurons that sure. you know read others yeah. and then they translate you know others behavior uh like into your behavior so that you can understand that yeah
1: definitely but we we still don't know that yeah and that's entirely true but we still don't know the limits of the uh, you know our ability to learn especially you know learn in developmentally yeah um, that's true yes so it's hard to predict because uh, you know, a different question is what would some kid who grew up completely isolated from actual people and reading their body <laughs> language and all that kind of stuff and only had social interactions online? That's one question, and we can, spec- yeah, that we can speculate that they're going to have all kinds of difficulties and that it's like a kind of sensory deprivation. Um, so they're not going to, you know, develop proper social skills, basically. Um, and, but that could you know, have really pathological consequences. And then there's the question of, of kids who, for whom this is just a part of their reality, but it's really assimilated. So they are having, you know, they're going to school, they're having their friends, they're having their you know, enemies, whatever it might take. They're going through most of the normal developmental socialising in person, but at the same time they have this other social life from a, you know, from a young age online. So those are two different questions, right? And I think you get two different outcomes in the two different.
0: Yeah, I think I think that you know, in case when you have a person who has you know like normal social life and uh, mm. like online social life from mm. the very beginning, I think he, he will just have two personalities. <laughs> I think he will just be, you know deeply fragmented, and mm. it will be one of his you know personality engaged in social conversations, and another would be you know engaged in the online conversation. So I guess the- I think he would. The question, two different persons, basically.
1: Yeah, well, you might be right, but uh, you know, and it's, <coughs> it's like it's you know when you're driving and when
0: you're walking, it's yeah, like yeah. different states, and it, right? Yeah,
1: it's tried to say it, but we're, you know we're all different people in in different circumstances, obviously. But you know, I talked about this last week, and you know, it's it's another of my hobby horses. But I guess there's this interesting question about what kind of drive or necessity for integration that there is. You know, there is this concept, I think it's very widespread, of self-realization as, you know, somehow putting all of these things into harmony with each other and and really integrating them so that you don't, again, it's like a task-shifting thing. You don't bear the costs of having to be a different person in lots of situations because you're basically comfortable just, quote-unquote, being yourself. So there's a question like how much of a natural, and i just use that in the broadest possible sense, how much of a natural drive is there towards that kind of integration? Um, And therefore, you know, again, with these kids who have their two separate lives, will they particularly those of them that, that, you know, go on to become a little bit older and, and maybe hopefully wiser. And, and, you know, their learning about everything becomes deeper. To what extent will there be a, an impetus in them towards integration? And then they won't have two personalities and they won't be fragmented. I mean, yes. Yeah, so. No,
0: just, just by my own, you know, experience mm. with uh, different, you know, skills and tasks, sure. like it comes really relatively, you know, late. Mm. So you have, I don't know, your, uh, you know, whatever, you know, writing skill, right? Yeah, so yeah. you write stuff and you, you know, you talk about things and you can be, you know, yeah, at least, least I was more proficient in uh, expressing my ideas via, you know, writing media yeah, than sure. uh, written media, yeah. than via oral media. And so yeah. when I was writing things, you know, I would get different ideas. I would have sure. different ways of shaping them. And now yeah. I have the same thing when I'm writing in Russian or in writing yeah, in English, yeah, yeah. I would think differently for and then sure. not necessarily connected so mm-hmm. they would be you know two different modes of thinking so i would be blind to some idea if I'm writing it in english and in russian it will be just you know snapping perfectly i think so... that's,
1: that's an amazing point and, and you know I, I obviously i'm not proficient in two languages but yeah i i have the same exact experience as you with you know writing versus <coughs> speaking and that's why uh, adapting to dragon and, and various you know dictation software has been so hard and I felt that there was this real impact on, on, you know, the quality of my thought and the structure of my writing and all of that stuff. That I, so I completely agree with that. And I don't think that will ever change. You know, I also believe that an hour spent just improvising on the guitar will change the way I think about things, too, even though ideally I'm not um, articulating any thoughts during, in language, in, um, like verbally, in my head during that period. I actually think when I return to things, there's somehow, you know, there's some likelihood of them being changed again. Which meditation, is yeah, the but same may- thing.
0: that's that's actually the key. Maybe yeah. exactly because you're yeah. not, you know, exercising your verbal capacity yes. while playing guitar, it no, will have I, effect so on your I, verbal capacity. I, yeah, but when you when you're actually much. talking about stuff, you're putting yeah. them in the concrete structures, yeah. Yeah. and those structures then they affect other structures. Yeah. So, so when you're you know, talking online, you have uh it's like you know you you have like spatial memory right i mean not spatial memory but it's more like you know uh space um uh, aligned memory whatever the you know term is so when you go into the room you suddenly you know remember stuff that you were doing in this room but you no longer remember things that you were doing outside of this room like you know the feeling right yeah so the uh so we you have that phenomena because you're communicating online and it feels like a different space, right? It is a different space, essentially. And then you are tying to that uh, the specific, uh, you know, verbal constructions. So you have, uh, like, you basically, you know, having a a specific memory, you know, whatever reservoir that is designated for this space, and within it, you structure it using, you know, verbal constructions that are rigid. And unlike mm. music, which is not rigid in a yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, I would understand why music, you know, mm. why playing guitar and improvising yeah. on the guitar would affect you are thinking about general things sure, because sure. it would be essentially like meditation. It while, is. It's, uh, exactly uh, it's like, it's you know, like, yeah. an open space. While yeah. in you're communicating yeah. online, it would yeah. be essentially like doing something in a closed state.
1: Well, yeah, Ish. Uh, what I, Where I was going with that is that I think that you... You know, yes, you think differently when you when you're writing in Russian and you or speaking in Russian than when you're you know speaking or writing in English. Absolutely, but you are able to remember when you're in English brain, you know those you know the the insights that you had from Russian brain, so to speak, right? So you end up integrating those in some way. And of course, when you go back to to, to being in Russian, it's still there's still a difference, um, and there are new differences, but you're still integrating those things on some level. Like the way, you know, the fact that you, you know, Russian is your first language and that you've, you know, written a lot in Russian, thought a lot in Russian, read a lot of things in Russian, including, you know, know a lot more about Russian history, all of these things, because you're culturally Russian, that has affected the way you think as a whole. That's not separate from the way you think when you're speaking in English. Um, the fact that you've learned Yeah, English, but I
0: feel you know. like, you know, that it's kind of a, two different, even personalities, you mm. know, the one that is using Russian language and the one that is using
1: English language. Like, yeah. I feel like I would, you know... But they exchange things, you know, they are connected. They're more connected you know, than you and I they're are. They're
0: definitely connected. You
1: know, by far. But, yeah, I mean,
0: they're definitely connected. Yeah. But in some sense, they are, you know, like, some aspects would be quite separate. I mean, there's definitely no cross pollination between yeah. my Russian and English mm. stuff. Mm. I mean, yes. Especially, like, you know, like, for writing... If I'm, uh, you know, writing, I don't know, a dialogue, like it would be largely affected by the way English people, you know, speak, and because I, I guess, because of you know, movies, because of you know, like uh, English novels, I guess yeah, because yeah. of that, yeah, for sure. And it would be then, you know, it would in Russian, it would turn English derived, like it would not be proper Russian, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like people don't speak in Russian the way I would write it. Yeah. Uh, but then, if I'm writing, you know something that is not a, like people speaking, right? If I'm writing about people's emotions, mm. then it's actually fascinating how I would be, you know, sort of impaired uh, by my ability to, uh, you know, look into characters' psyche because I am uh, writing it in English or actually in Russian. Like, you know, mm. certain things would be yeah. open for me in one language and it would be completely yeah. closed. Like, you know, it feels like, you know... You're trying to remember a word, but you can't remember a word, right? Yeah. So you know that there was a path here, but you just can't take it.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I I can completely, again, you know, I don't have the facility with two languages, but I can can very much understand what you're saying and, (laughs) and relate to that, but I still think and of course, there's there's going to be some limits on the degree of integration, perhaps. Although you know we can't know because we've got a long way to go on our paths towards integration, if that is a goal, that you know self-realization type goal. Um, again, each time you 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 come back, so to speak, like there's some still central central self in some sense. You know, you do have two different selves, but there's also there's a Venn diagram of selves, if you want, and there's this, you know, nucleus of self which is is common to both Russian Ivan and um, and English Ivan. And the question is whether there is whether it's just like a lot of you know really interesting philosophers and psychologists and, and um, you know novelists and other people have thought about this and you know have celebrated this, but there's no actual drive towards it or whether there is a drive for that shared space in in you know Ivan's Venn diagram to become larger to become a greater percentage of the entire space um, and i and i think that there's an impetus I, you know i i believe that that's not just the imagination of all those interesting thinkers i believe there is an actual impetus towards that and that the more I mean, it's not a, a single. Yeah, I mean, I
0: right? kind of like, I agree, but my just point is that it comes yeah. late, you know? Yeah, like, sure. first yeah. you, you develop, you know, separately two things, and then it's kind of, they kind of integrate. It's like, you know, when you're doing, I don't know, martial arts and you're doing yoga, and essentially they don't yeah. integrate for you. But yeah. then when you get better at both, you're like, oh, I see how they connect. So yeah, for sure. I, I feel like, you know, those structures, they only connect after they have developed to to a Certain point where they depth. start to, you know, um, like impinge on each other. They, Absolutely. you know, they kind of start to kind of trying to take territory from one another. Yeah, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. So I it only feel like sense.
0: they start to connect there. Yeah. But yeah. if you are uh, not developing them, right? If you're just doing, you know, your thing in, like, if you're doing, you know, over and over again the same thing. If you're exciting yeah. the same neural pathways. Yeah. I don't see why they would connect necessarily.
1: Okay, but I'll oh yeah. You know,
0: in, Incidentally, since we are since we're being like you know all media and stuff, yeah. uh, then uh, I, as David Bowie, I insist that I'm yoha in all of those discussions.
1: Okay, sure. <laughs> so that that aside, okay.
0: I think that they won't they won't necessarily connect.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll give you a utopian vision. Yeah. Give me a utopian to, vision to react to of like the of the cultural development. Um, I mean, it'll be a small uh, part of it, but, mm. but along with yeah. along with all these kids, um, or along with you know a great percentage of kids having you know social media being just you know what they grow <laughs> up with, you know, part of their normal, uh, in in some sense, social environment. You know, think about the fact that there's this huge. Um, Surge in interest these days in yoga, in meditation techniques, in you know the need to disconnect and to focus on things, um, you know, in an uninterrupted sense. Right? There's there's a big there is a drive towards that. Now, what percentage of society is into that? I don't know really, and how, how influential they're going to be on on you know what percentage they're going to make up of the next generation and the next generation. I don't know, but let's just imagine the kids who are the children of the parents who are, you know, the first-generation social media people, like, you know, people our age and, 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 you know, up to 10 years younger than us, perhaps, who didn't have social media when they were, you know, young kids, but had it in in their, you know, late teens, in our case, or um, or 20s, I'm not sure. Actually, I mean, uh, Facebook and things. It's it's really taken off in a, in a very short period of time, obviously. That doesn't matter. Um imagine that those parents are also really interested in yoga and meditation and different things and they teach their kids that there is a need to switch off there is a need to to spend some time you know listening to music reading books actually practicing meditation or yoga or or whatever and you know my semi speculative idea is that any of those activities and it's basically just about having uninterrupted, long stretches of focus, will <laughs> automatically, will automatically um, you know, cause a degree of, of integration. Um, it'll create, you know, it'll mean that more coherence is generated. And of course we do see those changes in the brain, long distance connectivity, um, that result from these practices. So, and to me, that kind of seems like an impetus towards coherence or towards integration oh, yeah. of I mean, disparate.
0: Y- yeah, I would, uh, I would agree that, you know, in that case, you will get, you know,
1: like... <laughs> My special in, case, yeah. Integrated special
0: people, yes, yeah. And,
1: but... Uh, yeah, it remains to be seen how, you know, how dominant that will be or whether that's necessary or, or whatever.
0: But, but that's, like, you know, that, that still won't be average, right?
1: So like you know, you have
0: physical education lessons, even not many of them, you still have them at and you know, old schools, right? Yeah. People play at you no know, basketball, football in schools. But how many Amongst them, do actually, you know, can actually play it? How many of them actually can run or something?
1: Yeah, sure. It would
0: be like, even if you say, you know, if you, even if you make it, you know, a default thing, like we all know now that having a good diet is a good thing, but how many people do you actually have a good diet? Sure. So, but
1: if, if you think that there are like really radical limits to the, to the, um, to the ability of the brain to adapt to this sort of new social paradigm, okay, if you, if you believe that, um, and then if you combine that with the belief that, um, you know, a healthy psyche is a, essentially a well-structured and well-integrated one, and I think that, you know, we could make a strong argument that that's the case, then if you combine those two things, it might be rapidly the case that this becomes extremely widely pathological <coughs> unless uh, people start adopting, <coughs> adopting techniques Of of you know focus, Um, and therefore there'll be an even stronger drive towards that because essentially you'll just have to do that kind of stuff in order to be able to cope with that world of the of the fairly near future. So there's going to be a very strong. I feel like
0: people won't cope then. You know, like knowing people, they would rather you know be all you know upset and all kind of like oh I can't cope. You know I hate my job. I don't hate my life. Rather than you know finding a way to do something you know finding strength to you know to do something sure
1: but think of it like a a selection pressure i mean this is just you know purely hypothetical but if that becomes strong enough people are either going to have to deal with it or then they're yeah they're not going to be able to cope at all they're not going to be able to function at all and you know people want to function so, you know, yeah,
0: we'll definitely want to function, but you know, look at people in the 19th century working in factories, all being miserable. Yeah. You have several generations of that factory yeah. workers, and, and they will, you know, like they won't be, you know, unhappy enough to not have kids, mm, you know, mm. and so they will just continue to, you know, have kids, their kids will be miserable, and so on. Sure. Obviously, you know, at some point, they either the environment will change or humans will change,
1: yeah, but revolution. Uh, I mean, think huh? about think about the yeah. the kind of, of revolution that someone like you know Russell Brand is calling for, and again, you can you can argue that that is the direct result of the whole. Uh, not it's not just social media. You know, social media is a symptom of our society so to speak but he's obviously arguing strongly that society has become so pathological that we need to break away from it and you know start meditating and all that kind of stuff you know that's that's essentially his message um and maybe he's ahead of his time you know or maybe maybe he's a crackpot but i think no there's something to what he's saying that there's a definite need to get off social media I mean, we've, we've, we've already hammered this, this topic. Yeah. But so if, if that need is strong enough, then you get uh, some kind, I mean, you can get catastrophe, obviously. You can get the collapse of a civilization. And obviously, you know, you and many other people have been enamored of, of the analogy between, you know, Western civilization now and, and the fall of Rome. So that could be social media, could be the, the you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back in that sense Mm -hmm. but we come out of the other side of that and maybe it doesn't have to be anything nearly that you know catastrophic but maybe we we do go through some kind of you know cultural bottlenecking in which it's you know generally realized that in order to enjoy the fruits of social media and you know unlimited information access and all the different things in order to really be able to take advantage of that you're going to need to take a break from it for x amount of time per yeah. day and train your brain in different ways and, and that could easily you know, become you know a mainstream thing within a couple of generations if the selection pressure is strong enough
0: yeah uh, I mean like actually I was I mean uh, like you know the problem is that we don't take you know like we as a civilization mm-hmm. we don't we,
1: fuck <laughs> like
0: we don't take um, mental uh, health yeah. as something even you know not even uh, like actual, we don't take it, you know, like as real at yeah, all.
1: Yeah, so I think we there's don't already care about our strong, mental health at all, and so, but we care, you know, seriously. to
0: some extent about physical health. Yeah, yeah. and I think you know, our uh, ability to communicate with each other non stop now is somewhat the same as you know, when we discovered the ability to have sugar and fast, sure, just like sure. you know, in any quantities we want, and you know, in the first, uh, like you know. Like first, you know, century or decade, we had that ability. I mean, I guess it's like only twentieth century, right? Mm. We were we were just gorging on that, right? And we were being all kind of unhealthy. And then we saw the effect because it's easy to see the detrimental, you know, uh, physical. Uh, effect than the detrimental he- uh, mental health uh, Is it? Is it easy? I mean, yes. And we were like, oh, okay, we should not eat that much sugar, we yeah. should not eat that much fats, okay, we should have somewhat healthy diet, okay, yeah. that's the established thing. And, not and I think it will entry. be the same with, you know, social media. I mean, yeah. Not maybe will be, but should be, yeah. uh, because it's like, you know, one of the things that we like to do as humans, interact with other humans. I mean, like, our brain is essentially developed for that, right? Absolutely. So, it's just one of the you know best pleasures in life to be able to communicate with other humans and now we can do it non-stop and so but we're not made for that and mm. uh it's not necessarily good for you to do something that you like non-stop right sure
1: yeah
0: absolutely so, <laughs> yeah, yeah i guess it's just p- like oh okay people right yeah. you you know it's when you, like, it's the same as, you know, having a healthy diet, yeah, and like absolutely. having a healthy, I don't know, internet diet.
1: Completely. So we, we're completely agreeing about that, man. Like, that's exactly what I'm saying. If the, the effect on mental health is, is dramatic enough, i.e. The, the cultural selection pressure is dramatic enough, then there will be a rapid pushback. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right about us not taking <laughs> mental health um, seriously enough, Um. <laughs> Or as seriously as physical health, but I think that there, there is quite a big um, push to shift that. You know, I think that that's already being pushed back, and I, you know, I don't see us losing the advances that we've made in that direction. I don't see us suddenly switching back to, you know, um.
0: Yeah, but we're still kind of kids, Mm. you know, I think uh, the uh, social justice, you know, wars, Mm. they have, you know, partially because we suddenly started to take, you know, like our psyche, our, you know, inner state as something real. We're like, okay, we should not make people miserable because, you know, these, you know, X, Y and Z make people miserable. But uh, so I think it's, you know, partially because of that, because of what you're saying, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, there is actually, you know inner state and it is actually as important as your you know physical state yeah uh but you know us being kids we're like oh okay then we will
1: just not say x y and z yeah, at yeah, all sure, sure. And, okay yeah,
0: maybe you know, like, that's the way but maybe there are other ways
1: i mean in our, in our discussions of this for years i've been using the term <laughs> the term teething problems you know and maybe that's just because I, you know, I like to maintain an optimistic point of view. But I, yeah, I just see that as a teething problem. Change just keeps happening, um, and I think that there are a lot of trends. And you know, we talked about moral progress and progress in history and things last week. I think there are a lot of trends that are kind of moving sort of in the right direction. But as they invade new territory, they always are going to discover new pitfalls. You know, there are going to be new challenges that arise whenever something new, even if it's very good. Um, you know, arises. Um, we obviously yeah. see that in evolution mm-hmm. in general. I mean, we certainly see that in biological evolution in general. Um, yeah. There are all of these, un- you know, it's, it's the so called adjacent possible, as Stuart Kaufman would, would call it. Um, the idea that as you invade new area, new territory, new phenotype space, whatever term you want to use. Um, all of this adjacent area of phenotype space that was not accessible from your previous space, and not even and not foreseeable, like in principle not predictable, that it was actually there and was going to become accessible, becomes accessible. And a lot of that space includes a lot of you know negative uh, mutations, so to speak. You know, there are a lot of places where you can step off a fitness cliff. Um, and you know, there's an in cultural evolution which is so rapid and, and just exploring novel space in this incredibly you know um, wide-reaching and rapid fashion, exploring it all over the place simultaneously. There's going to be all of this, um, all of these you know slight decreases in fitness are going to be discovered and and rear their heads and of course yeah we, we can't know where that's going to lead and whether that's ultimately going to lead us into a into a, a real fitness trough and of course predictions associated with climate change and um you know any other end of the world mythology scientifically validated or otherwise um you know or think of all the uh, nuclear you know nuclear weapons and things AI, strong AI, general AI, you know, it's gonna it's gonna kill us all. Um so yeah, it's quite possible that we make a discovery which explores an adjacent possible which is a fitness trough for humans and and we go through a a, a really serious problem there.